Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Rick Benjamin. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, first-time visitors, welcome. The message is from Romans 14. We're going to read it off the screen today. If you have a paper Bible, go ahead and open it up. It's still good for us. Whatever version of the Bible you have, I'm going to read Romans 14 from the New International Version. Here we go. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we all belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore... Do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Amen. So we're teaching through Romans for three summers. We're going to finish Romans this summer, we think. Two more chapters to go after this one. We're in that last section of Romans from chapter 12 to the end, which is the practical part, the go and do it part, the living part, living in the church, living in the world, walking in love before God and one another. A lot about love, Romans 12, Romans 13. Paul taught a lot about loving one another in the church. Listen, Romans 12, 9. Don't just pretend to love each other. Really love each other. Romans 12, 10. 
love each other with genuine affection. Romans 13, 8. He said, don't leave any debt outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. How beautiful. It's an ongoing debt to love one another. Romans 13, 10. Love does no wrong to anyone, so love satisfied all of God's requirements. Wow. I love how Pastor Josh has been teaching about love. He wants us to be an army of love. He calls us love marines. I like that. I never had the privilege of serving in the military, but maybe I have the privilege to serve in God's love army and be a love marine for Jesus. He said we're driven by love. We should be. Go out and love big, he keeps saying. Well, here we are in Romans 14 and 15. Actually, these two chapters are kind of a, a mini section of Romans teaching a very important way for us to love in a very specific situation, loving each other when we disagree. Notice how it says, when we disagree. It doesn't say, if we disagree. It's going to happen. Next week, my wife and I, we've been married 41 years. We've had no disagreements today. <laughs> But it's only 12.45. My wife and I, we both come fully equipped with opinions about a lot of things. And we disagree probably about every day about something or other. And we love each other powerfully through it all. Marriage is a living, working experiment in loving each other when you disagree. So is the church, the body of Christ. That's right. I didn't always know that. I didn't always think that. This morning after the message, a man who knows me well said, Rick, 25 years ago, you couldn't have taught this. And he was right. I'll tell you more about that today. The subject here is called disputable matters. Interesting. Disputable. The old King James Version is doubtful disputations. I like that. They're controversies. They're areas where we disagree conscientiously. Maybe less important issues, but... Important if you believe something strongly one way or the other. In the first century, there's a list of some of the famous disputable matters. Eating meat. Should we eat meat or not? Not for dietary reasons, not for health reasons, for moral reasons. There were some who believed to eat meat was a sin. Others didn't believe that. Disputable matters in the first century, special days like the Sabbath day or the feast days of Israel. What do we do on that day? Or drinking wine. That was a disputable matter. Or another one that's not found here, but it's over in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Three whole chapters about this one called eating meat that was offered to idols. This one no longer exists in the 21st century. In the 1st century, a very big disputable matter. This is what it was. Christians lived in that polytheistic world. They were surrounded by people that worshipped all the Roman gods and goddesses. And they would go offer an animal and sacrifice to these gods. They could take the meat off the altar and take it out to the market and resell it. And it could be sold again. You could go to the market and buy used meat. The meat was used in this way of offering a sacrifice to a god. And Christians had a real dilemma here. Should we buy that? Should we eat that? Yeah, it's cheaper, but... It got offered to an idol, and some Christians believed, no, that would be a sin. Other Christians thought, let's save the money. What's wrong with it? Let's eat it. This was a real big deal. Three whole chapters about that one disputable matter. Read that sometime. I'll quote 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 a couple times 
in this message today. Now, over in the 21st century, we have a whole different list of disputable matters. Social drinking. Should Christians drink alcohol or not? That's a big one. Dancing, like for fun, at a party, at a bar, at a wedding reception. Should we dance? How about tattoos? That's a big one in the 21st century. Body art, ink, they call it. Some say no, that's a sin. They even quote a verse from the Old Testament about tattoos. Others say, ah, we're free. You get it? And the one down there going to R-rated movies. There's a whole long list. Now notice, first century, 21st century, look at those lists. They're all about behaviors, stuff that we should or should not do. A list of do's and a list of don'ts. All right. It was happening then. It's still happening now between us believers. Now, at this church, we've applied this even to what we teach, what we believe, for doctrine. So we have this cool diagram we have here at Unite Church. This is really helpful. It's helped us a lot. If you ever do the Unite Church membership class, you'll see this there. We break it out into three categories. Three circles. The inner circle we call core doctrine. Now, doctrine means what you teach, what you believe about God and Jesus and the Bible and so on. Now, the core doctrine is smaller. It's a short list, but very important. In that circle are the things that all Christians believe. And by the way, did you know there are things that all Christians everywhere on planet Earth believe together? We're not all divided, not as much as you think. There's a short list of very important beliefs that are core for all believers. They're mostly about Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did, the middle person of the Holy Trinity. He came from heaven. He's the Son of God. He's the God-man. He's God in flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died for us on the cross. He rose again. He's coming again. All Christians everywhere believe every word I just said. It's true. There's a short creed called the Apostles' Creed. Whoever quoted the Apostles' Creed? Me too. You can quote that creed, every single word, with all your heart. It's things that all Christians believe. So that core list of doctrines, that defines what is Christian and what is not Christian. I have a friend who's part of a different religion, but he thinks he's a Christian, but he doesn't believe the things that are the core about Jesus. I always tell him, you're not a Christian. He says, yes, I am. We talk back and forth. It's fun. We love each other because... What he believes puts him outside that circle. I still love him. I try to witness to him. But he's not a Christian, and we both know it. Well, at least I know it. <laughs> the next one is important doctrines, and they are important. And these are the ones that we call distinctives for each local church. This is why there's 300 churches in Anchorage today. Did you know that? In the one way, there's only one church, all the believers who believe all the stuff in the core. But in another way, there's 300 churches because we believe different things about other things. And these are important. They don't hinder our fellowship with other believers. They shouldn't. And here's what the list includes. Uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Different Christians have different views about that. It's important. How you baptize believers in water. Do you dunk them in a tank of water? Do you sprinkle them? Do they have to be a believer to be baptized? Questions about how you organize a church. Do you have elders? Does everybody vote? Does the pastor do everything? Different questions of church government, you might say. Different beliefs about the last days. When Jesus is coming, what happens before then? The sequence of events. These things are important. We have a list of these. There's 16 basic beliefs of this church. You could look them up. It includes some of these 
distinctives of Unite Church. But in there, there's still lots of fellowship, even though we don't always agree. And then we have the outer circle, which is disputable ones, okay? It says here, unity on these issues not required to be a partner in ministry or a member of this church or a leader in this church. These issues will not create division in any way. And there's some of the ones I've already mentioned, like tattoos and social drinking and all the rest. Okay. I learned this phrase a long time ago. It's pretty good. Maybe you could write it down. This is how it goes. In essentials, unity. In doubtful areas, liberty. In all things, charity. I love that. And charity, of course, means love. So we try to follow that. We try to be unified in the core, try to have liberty in the other circles, and no matter what, love. Another way I learned about this, this might help you think about it too. Some of those doctrines up there will never, ever change, not even forever in heaven, okay? In heaven, it won't matter if you speak in tongues or not. In fact, nobody will. We believe it'll be in the past. We won't need it anymore. We'll be in the presence of God, perfect communication. In heaven, it won't matter how you organize your church back on earth. Hallelujah. In heaven, your view about the last days will already be fulfilled past history. It's in the rearview mirror now. Hallelujah. But in heaven forever, eternally, there'll always be Jesus and who he is and what he did for us. And we'll always be singing about it. You came. You died. Your blood purchased us. It's why we're here with you forever in heaven. So break it out that way. Eternal doctrines that will never change and sort of temporal doctrines that are just really important in this life and this world. Okay. I always think about this story. Uh, my dad and I, uh, well, my dad didn't, but I grew up going to a restaurant in town called the Arctic Roadrunner, the Alaskan Banquet. Because my dad was good friends with the founder, Dick Sanchez. He's gone now. He's in heaven. We miss you, Dick. And Dick Sanchez idolized my dad, and they loved to talk about everything. In fact, at the restaurant, there's a table with my dad's name on it. Yeah, and his picture's on the wall. And when I go there, I feel like I got to sit there. I walk up, someone's sitting there. I kind of stare at him. You're at my table. No, I don't. One time, my dad and Dick were talking. I was just listening. And Dick says, you know, Pastor Benjamin, the problem you Christians have, you're all divided. You disagree over little things. He said, you fight about the little pebbles. You should just agree on the big boulders and forget about the pebbles. I thought, that makes sense. Dick has a point. Then my father said, you know, Dick, you're right. You have a point. But here's the problem. You think something's a pebble, and I think it's a boulder. We disagree. Sure. The person who believes the Sabbath is very important, and they have to obey that commandment. That's almost the biggest boulder of all, really. But someone else may say, who cares about Saturday? You see how it goes? So we have areas where we disagree, areas of conduct and behavior, areas of doctrine and belief. What do we do when we disagree? In Romans 14, he calls it the weak and the strong. Did you see that? The one who's weak in the faith, he said. What does it mean? It doesn't mean you're a weakling. It doesn't mean you have personal weaknesses of character. In Romans 14, being strong is the Christian with fewer rules and prohibitions. Your list of things you cannot do is shorter or doesn't exist at all. Like Paul himself. Did you see what Paul said? He said, I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus nothing is unclean. Did you really say nothing? That's what he said. 
So Paul was a very strong Christian, and basically the list was like nothing at all. Wow. The Christian who is weak is the Christian who has a list of personal behaviors that to that person are sin. That's the idea, okay? In the first century, and probably back in Rome, these were probably Jewish Christians. They were coming into the Christian faith. They accepted Jesus. Now they had a question. So do I have to keep on obeying the law of Moses? I've been doing it my whole life. That's why, like, eating meat and the Sabbath, those were the big issues, all right? So this is what it means. The person is weak. Why are they weak? Because maybe they're still trusting in what they do and their behaviors, and they're not doing all the don'ts and doing all the do's, and they haven't yet grown strong in their faith to believe, oh, I'm not saved by what I do or do not do. I'm saved because of what Jesus has already done by grace. And as you grow in faith, you get stronger and you come to understand that's what it's really all about. Okay. Now, if you're stronger in the faith, and I hope you are, I have a suggestion for you, and here it is. Don't tell the weaker brother or sister that they're weak. This doesn't go over very well. What? You think you can't do all that stuff? I have news for you. Guess what? You're weak. <laughs> it just comes across judgmental, kind of unkind. You'll probably make them mad. And there's one more reason. Some weaker believers actually think they're the stronger believer. Because the weaker believer has all these rules they're following, and so they say to the stronger believer, well, I'm holier than you. You're just a liberal Christian with all kinds of license. You do all that stuff? You think you're better than me? I think I'm better than you. It really actually happens. Okay. What are we supposed to do? Well, here it is. Simple. If you're a stronger Christian, don't look down on the weaker one. And if you're a weaker Christian, don't judge the stronger one, even though you don't think they're stronger anyway. How does it look? Here's a strong Christian looking down on a weak Christian. Well, get over it. Stop being weak, would you? Where'd you get all those rules? That is not love. Strong Christian looking down on a weak Christian. Well, you're just legalistic. Maybe that's true, but your word is unkind. You put a label on your brother or sister with that word legalistic. Don't do that. Don't look down on weak Christians. Well, Hey, don't you know we're free from all that? Here, let me help you. I'm going to debate with you and argue with you until you agree with me. And then you'll be strong like I am. Don't you see? That's full of pride and judgmentalism and not love. What about the weak Christian? Don't judge a strong Christian. Here's what that looks like. Well, you're just worldly. You're just a liberal. You don't even care about holiness like me. You know, you so-called strong Christian. It's still important for us Christians to obey God, I think. That's how it looks. Don't do it. Because here's why. And he says so in Romans 14. There's only one judge, and it's not you. He said, who are you to judge someone else's servant? There's only one judge. There's only one master. There's only one Lord. What's his name? Jesus. We're all accountable to this one person, and not even to each other. It's not my responsibility to judge you. It's not my gift to go around judging you. It's not this church's gift to go around judging other churches, other organizations. At one time, I think I might have thought I had a gift like that. Like it was my job to speak out against Christians and churches who were different. That's in the past. I'm sorry I was ever like that at all. 
There are whole organizations now. Turn on your Christian radio. Sometimes you hear them telling us how wrong we are. Oh, thank you very much. I don't think that's really a gift or a ministry in the Holy Spirit. No. We're only accountable to one Lord and one Master, and it's Jesus. We sang it today. He is Lord, Lord of all. Amen. Listen to the message paraphrase. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Amen. We'll all be at the same level before the one master, the one judge, Jesus. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Here's a verse about it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, be clear about this. This is not the final judgment about who goes to heaven forever. No. This is a judgment for us believers. There's no question about who's going to heaven here. That's already decided. Jesus paid for it on the cross, and we accepted it by faith. This judgment is an accountability before the master on how we did for him in this life. Faithfulness, stewardship. I entrusted gifts to you. How did you do? Remember that parable? This is that. Not the final judgment. A judgment between the master and you and me about our life before Christ. So one day, I'll be like this, and you will too. And you know, some of us are so afraid of what everybody else is going to see. Really? I really believe in my heart in that moment before Jesus, I won't even care if there's people all around me or not. I won't be aware of them. I'll just be aware of him. And he's going to say, okay, Rick, let's see how you did, my son. The gifts I entrusted to you, the people I entrusted to you, the lifetime I entrusted to you, let's see how you did. I'm not afraid of it because I know he loves me. The one who judged me, he's the one who died for me. He's already proven that. He's able to make me stand, the man said. That's right. But it's real, and it's going to happen to me and you and you and every one of us. And all I want to hear and all you want to hear is those words. You know what they are. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all we want to hear. That's that moment. Every knee will bow. It's coming. Amen. What do you think will be important to him in that moment? Well, let's see. Did you eat all the right food? <laughs> now, what I just said might be insensitive if you believe food is a really big moral issue. I'm sorry. But I really, in my heart, don't think that's going to be the big question. Before the master, it will be questions like this. Did you love your brother and sister and not judge them in that life? I really do believe that's what's important. There's a concept here you have to internalize, and for some it's kind of a pill to swallow. It may be a new concept for some. Be ready to learn something right here. Here it is. Romans 14 actually says, if someone thinks something is a sin, even if it's not a sin like in the Bible, to that person it is a sin. You have to get this concept. He said it twice. If someone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. That's the Bible. And also verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. There are specific acts in the New Testament that are listed as sin. Those are in the core. Those are not disputable. 
But some people believe some things that are sin, we can't find them in the Bible. I drink a lot of Diet Coke. Diet Coke is not healthy, I know. Don't send me all the papers and research and articles. I read them all. But what if I encountered a brother or sister who said, Rick, I believe Diet Coke is a sin. You shouldn't drink that. It's wrong before God. Is it my job to say to them, oh, get over it. What are you talking about? Diet Coke's not a sin. You can't even find the words in the Bible. That would not be love. Sometimes I hear this one, and this one kind of gets me a little angry. I'm a nice guy, but I get angry about some stuff. This one makes me mad. Well, if he's offended, that's just his problem. I'm just going to be myself and do what I do, and if they're offended, it's their problem. Brothers and sisters, don't ever let words like that come out of your mouth ever again. That is so immature and so unloving and so not the spirit of what we're doing here today. God help us. No. If the brother or sister said to me, drinking Diet Coke is a sin for me, that matters to me now. And what if they saw me drinking a Diet Coke and they thought, well, if Rick Benjamin does it, maybe it's okay. Give me the Diet Coke. I'll drink it. I don't feel good about this. I'm not sure. Drink, drink, drink. I just influenced that brother or sister to sin. That's what the Bible is saying. Wow. Because of love, what my brother or sister sincerely believes is important to me. Their problem does become my problem. If it's important to me, to them, that makes it important to me. And if they're emboldened by my example to do something they believe is sin, then I've influenced them to sin. 1 Corinthians 8.12, listen to this. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. How do you like that? Paul calls this thing stumbling, stumbling another person. And that's the word he uses here in verse 13. He says the weaker person is distressed by the actions of the stronger person. He says your action can cause your brother or sister to fall. And two times, did you see this in verse 15 and verse 20? The weaker person may be destroyed. Destroyed? What does that mean? I don't think I want to know. All I know about is I don't want my brother or sister to be destroyed by me in what I do or do not do. So here's a list. Here's a good list of do's and don'ts. Ready? Don't argue about this stuff. Don't look down or judge each other. Don't condemn one another about these things. And don't stumble or destroy a brother or sister. What are we supposed to do? Accept one another. What a beautiful word. I accept you. We're different. We disagree. So what? You're my brother. You're my sister. I accept you. Follow personal conviction. Did you see that? We're all supposed to work out this stuff individually before the Lord and then walk in integrity. Integrity means what I believe and what I live are the same. That's integrity. So your beliefs and your life are integrated. Do that before God. But don't go around trying to preach the rest of us your personal conviction. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to love. And listen to this one. Make every effort for peace and edification. That's what we're supposed to do. And this last one's really important to me because guess what? The Bible says exactly the same thing three times. Did you know that? Here's the first one, Romans 14, 19. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. That's one. Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's two. 
and now Hebrews 12, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. You know, when God says the same exact thing three times, I think he's trying to say something to us. Oh, of course, when God says something one time, he's trying to say something to us. But three times, the exact same thing. Make every effort, which leads to a question. Have you done that? Have you made every effort in that relationship for reconciliation, for forgiveness? Have you made every effort to keep relationship even when you disagree? Every effort for peace and unity and love and edification? Wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? God help me to make every effort. Help me live that way. Paul made a commitment, a really strong commitment. It's kind of amazing, really, what he did. Because he was a leader, he knew he had influence, he made some big commitments, some big decisions. He said, I believe nothing is unclean. All right. But he made this commitment. I'm going to quote 1 Corinthians 8, 13. Listen to what he said. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Did you hear that? The King James Version said, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. I love that. <laughs> he simply said, I could eat a hamburger. I could eat a steak. But I know it causes others to fall. So here's my decision. Here's my commitment. I will never do it while the world standeth. I can live without it because there's something more important, and that's love and my brother and sister. Paul's commitment was that if he knew something he was free to do would cause someone else to stumble, he would never do it again. This is denying yourself the freedom you know you have for the sake of someone else. This is love. That's an example to follow. And the ultimate example is even greater than Paul. It's Jesus. Think about this. Jesus is in heaven. We're in total disagreement with him. The Bible says we were his enemies. We're so different from him in every way. What did Jesus do? The strongest one. He gave it all up, all of his freedom, all his liberty, all his prerogatives. He came and became a servant to us. He died on the cross for us. This is love. That's the example. Like we sang today, this is amazing grace. Wow. Okay, Paul told his commitment. I'm going to tell you one of mine. Because I want to be an example too. And I hope this comes out right for what it's worth. I made a commitment not to drink alcohol. I just don't do it. Does that make me a weaker brother? No. Here's why. I know it's not a sin to take a drink. I'm not abstaining from alcohol because I'm weak in the faith. I'm strong in God's grace. Praise God. I give it up for another reason. That's right. I could take a drink right now. I could get a beer and drink it. Wouldn't be a sin. Fine. But I know that if somebody who's weaker in the faith saw me drinking or heard about me drinking, they might decide it's okay to drink and fall into sin. It could happen. It's real. We're not talking about Diet Coke now. Something really serious for many people. The risk is not worth it to me. So I simply made one decision one time just not to do it. My life is fine. I'm okay. Don't worry about it. There you go. I live in Anchorage, Alaska. I lived here my whole life. If somebody saw me walking out of the brown jug, that's Rick. What's he doing in there? Maybe Rick drinks. Maybe it's okay for me. And down they go. It could happen. It does happen. Now I'll tell you a story to tell you how my commitment got challenged at least one time. 
This is 28 years ago. I found myself in a dilemma, and this is what it was. 28 years ago, you know, the Iron Curtain came down. We were all going to the Russian Far East. It's actually beyond Siberia. It's closer to Alaska. The city of Magadan. And this group came from Magadan to Anchorage, and a guy came and stayed at our house with me and Dolores. His name was Anatoly Bazuglov. And he was a pure communist, and he spoke no English. We had no Russian. He stayed at my house for like a week. And we got along and communicated and became friends. Honestly, when he went back to Magadan, Dolores cried. She said, I miss Anatoly. <laughs> and I missed him too. Then I went over there, and I got to go to his house. This was a very big deal for him. He took me to the Russian banya. You know what the banya is? It's the Russian traditional sauna, steam bath. It's a big deal. It takes all day. Then he brought me to his house for this big meal with all of his friends and all of his family. Come see my American friend. I was the big guest of honor. And sure enough, you know where this is going. He brings out a great big bottle of champagne. There is my dilemma. And here's why. Because I was not alone that night. I was there with a precious Christian couple, brother and sister. They were my translators. And they were pretty young Christians, and they came from a very legalistic Pentecostal church. I knew that. So in this moment, I had this dilemma. What do I do? I've made this commitment never to drink. I might stumble Natasha and Lonya. I love them a lot. I don't want them to fall. Or, but what about my friend? If I don't drink this champagne, he'll be offended. How do I even tell him? I can't speak Russian. What am I going to do here? Feel the suspense? Okay. You know what I did. I made a decision. I took the drink. I drank the champagne. It wasn't a sin. God wasn't mad at me. It tasted like mosquito dope. It was just awful. I hated it. And then on the way home, I told my brother and sister, this is why I did that. I never drink alcohol. I did it for him. By the way, Anatoly never fell to his knees and confessed Christ, you know, because I drank the champagne. <laughs> okay, I don't know what happened with him. My brother and sister are Christians today, and we love them a lot, and it all worked out fine. But that's where my commitment got challenged, and that does happen. It'll happen to you too. But what I have tried to do is make commitments like that and keep them before God. And that's the example I want to give to you. This is not a message about alcohol. It's about love for one another. An example where we're different. So think about that in all the ways it applies to you. I love what the message says about this. Listen to this. If you eat meat, eat it for the glory of God, and thank God for the prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God, and thank God for broccoli. <laughs> I love that. What is really important? It's love. First Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Romans 14, 15 says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, no longer acting in love. And here's verse 17. The most famous verse in Romans 14 is this verse right here. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He's saying it. That's what's really important. We used to sing this song. You remember this? The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Righteousness, peace, and joy. The only one we ever sang was this verse right here. Why? Because that's what's really core. That's what's important. Love, righteousness, peace, joy. Your brother and sister in Christ, whether they're stronger than you or weaker than you, 
That's what's important. Amen. So the summary is in verse 13. Don't condemn each other anymore. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not put an obstacle in another Christian's way. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, don't think only of your own good. Think of other Christians and what is best for them. I think for me, there was only one big circle. It was all the stuff I believed, and that was core. Everybody else had to believe everything I believed, or you were out. I used to really think every person in Anchorage should come to Abbott Loop. I really thought that. I would pray for that. All the Christians in Anchorage, like the Baptists and all the rest, they should just change and agree with us. Then we'll have unity. There's no pride there, is there? <laughs> I really thought that. But God changed me through experiences and relationships and challenges. I've come so far I can't recognize myself sometimes. I have a close friend, I mean a brother in Christ, who's a Roman Catholic priest. We've talked about specifics in the core. He's a brother. If he's not a Christian, I'm a bald eagle. That's just all there is to it. And I say to myself, really? Me? Rick from Abbott Loop? I used to think they were the enemy. Now he's my brother in Christ. And he would say the same thing. So many examples, so many stories about all of this. Come back next week, Romans 15. Hear the rest of this section. I do love this message. I really do. I do try to live this way. I hope I'm an example. It's such a good message for now, isn't it? Our country and our state are so torn apart by controversies and disagreements. The president, the governor, the budget, the list goes on. So much disagreement, so much disrespect, frankly, unkindness, just bullying and meanness back and forth. You disagree with me, you're a bigot. You disagree with me, you're just wrong. You don't love America. Beloved, we have a chance to show the world how it can be when we love each other, when we don't agree. Disputable matters, controversies, even issues of doctrine. We prove that our relationships don't depend on our agreement. You know what? We prove that our relationships are a miracle from Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't even know each other. We probably wouldn't even like each other. That's the truth. But because of Jesus, we're one. We eat that bread. We drink that cup. We're one. And we love each other. And we can show the world what it looks like. What real love looks like when people disagree but stay in relationship because of love. And all because of all of this, we bring more glory to Jesus, the master, the one that really counts most of all. Think about it. I hope you will. Pray about it. Consider your own convictions, your own standards, your relationships. Make every effort to keep that unity and love going forward. And stay tuned. There's more to come. We're going to pray a prayer to conclude this message now. A prayer that I wrote for us all to pray together. I think we can all say it together. I hope you do. Let's all stand. We're going to sing some more songs and pray for each other and close this service in a few moments. Would you just close your eyes with me now? Let's pray together, and then we'll go. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. In spite of all my weakness and all the ways I'm different from you, Thank you for giving up everything to come and die on the cross for me. 
Help me to love others the way you love me. Help me to make every effort for relationship and peace. Help me live for you every day, not for myself. Help me to really live what I believe. Until one day, when I bow my knees before you, my Lord and my Master, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.